Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Well, it's Father's Day and I figure we might talk about fatherhood. In fact, this whole month we're talking about families and friendship. Next week, talk about friendships, real keys to uh, how to build and build great friendships. And and then, of course, we've got our family fun day. And then at the end of the month, we're getting back into the First Peter series. And the passage that Ruth will be preaching from is on marriage. So the whole month has got this theme of families and, and friends. And as I said today, being Father's Day, we want to talk about fatherhood. You know, when I first became a father... Ruth had uh, stopped working full-time, and so that was uh, a good financial challenge. And uh, we had a mortgage in Sydney at the time, and the interest rates were 17%. And some of you may remember those days. That's right, 17%. And, uh, and the company that I worked for had just been taken over, and we knew we were all going to lose our jobs. So we used to go into the office with nothing to do uh, but wait for the phone call. And, um, and yet the funny thing is, I don't remember worrying about our finances when I became a father. I, all I remember was that I was just totally blown away and excited and full of joy and pride and I just walked tall and I think I maybe raised my voice a little when I went into the chemist to announce that I wanted to buy some nappies, you know, it was like, doesn't everyone realise I'm a father, you know, I was excited and I had this new perspective on life and I was thankful to God for this amazing gift and I was also thankful to my wife in her role in bringing that child to earth, which some would argue is just a little harder than the father's contribution (laughs) and I would be one of them. But I also felt this weight of responsibility in in a good way, this desire that, flip, I'm a father, I want to be a good father. And and at the same time, incredibly aware that I have no idea what I'm meant to do. I've had no training for this. There's no school course, no university program or subject that teaches you how to be a father. And of course, mothers would say, well, it's the same for us, but mothers just seem to do it better intuitively. They just seem to have more idea. I can remember when our first child was like a day old and we're in the hospital and he started crying and I'm like, quick, I'm going to get a doctor. I'm getting, I'm getting the nurse. You know, what? the baby's crying. What are we, what are we going to do? And Ruth was just so cool. She was just like, that's what babies do. I was like, yes, but there's got to be an issue, a problem. No, just baby hungry or whatever. I'm like, okay, you seem to know what you're doing. Why? How? I'm glad one of us seems to have some idea. You know, In fact, um, my uh, nephew's wife, this is my son's, my brother's, my brother's son's wife, just posted this on Facebook last night uh, because they're about to be a, become parents. And she put this up saying, I don't know what we're going to do. And you can see the father on the top left exercising baby. No, no, that's not how you do it. Actually, I just realised when I looked at this again this morning, the top right, the bad washing of the baby with the hose, maybe that's meant to be a woman. I think they're just being PC and, and not sexist because, or it's a bloke with a ponytail and needs to work. 
and it needs to work out a little. Uh, let's say he's just carrying a bit of it. Okay, but it, it's obviously not a woman, or it shouldn't be a woman because women aren't that stupid, but men are. And look at the drawing of the baby. The guy's got this, along the way, he's got the stopwatch on too. It's like, yeah, don't want to use too much power. Should be Five minutes should be enough. And so um, I think, and she said something on Facebook like, oh, I, I hope he, I mean, I hope we know what we're going to do. And her husband's in the army, soldier, good, you know, upright kind of guy. But let's face it, men, we're a little bit clueless. Uh, so the smart thing is when you become a father is to realise, A, I don't know what to do, but B, I'm going to find out. And the best thing is to ask around people who seem to have some clue. And there, and there are people like that, fathers who have been around, who have raised their children reasonably successfully. And so we go and we learn from others what to do and what not to do because some people we can learn, well, I don't want to raise my kids that way. And of course we can look to the perfect father and we can learn from God in heaven because he is the ultimate awesome perfect father. So I want to talk about a few features of fantastic fathers, features that God displays for us that we can all appreciate, that we can all benefit from and reflect on and and appreciate that God is is my father and these are these are some of his qualities that he brings to that relationship that I benefit from uh, but also fathers we can then think well how am I going in that regard as a father and when I say fathers I don't just mean biological parents I just had a friend again on Facebook yesterday who is not a biological parent but has become a foster parent and he had a shout out to all the fathers and said on Father's Day I've been doing fostering for a while and I'm appreciative of my role without being biological, natural father, but still a role of input and assistance. And even if you're not a parent or a foster parent, in church life especially, there are roles that we play that are father-like roles to the younger generation. You're a role model. People are looking at you. They're watching the way you live and pray and interact and commit to God's ways and how you do life. And so we can be encouragers and sources of wisdom and advice. And one of the things I've appreciated for my children as I've grown up, as they've grown up in God's house, were other people around in church life, not just Ruth and me saying, this is what you should do. This is how you follow the Lord. This is what you should do with your life. This is a good career option. But just seeing them meeting with other people, their youth leaders, their kids, workers, uh, from, from baby days right through. This church is, Luke's exactly as old as this church. So he's 22 and his whole life he, he's just now he's old enough he doesn't have to come to church but he chooses to when he's little no choice and then you know he'd come along and he'd grow up with you know Aaron and Dale as as you know older kids workers and computer IT specialists and and Byron as youth leader and different people around and so there are father-like figures in our lives and as fathers and as men, any men, we have that opportunity to be those kind of um, roles and, and bring inspiration and instruction to the next generation. So first obvious feature of a great dad that God brings to the table for us and fathers, we want to do that as well, is of course the quality of love. God is loving. God is perfectly loving. And the Bible tells us so many times about God's love. And here's just a few examples. One verse you may have heard of before, uh, John 3.16. 
which we're putting up in a difficult, challenging way for you. So with the, with the world, there we, there we go. So God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I love that, that God, God loved us. God gave his son. And once you become a father, it gives you a newfound appreciation for what that must have meant for the father. And yet in giving his son, we can all become sons and we all become part of the family of God. That's incredible, isn't it? And, um, and that love extends to the whole world, all of humanity, all throughout history. That love has been shown, proven with Jesus coming and dying for us. And again, many scriptures, Ephesians chapter 2, listen to this. But God, in verse, uh, verses 4 and 5 in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I love that. God's got great love. But not only that, he's directed it to you. With great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses or sins, He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And it goes on saying that we we don't deserve it. We can't earn our relationship with God, our salvation, our eternal life. Just a gift all because of his love. And then if you go into the Old Testament, let's look at Zephaniah. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? But there it is, a book called Zephaniah. No, that's not the verse we want. We want Zephaniah 3.17. Look at that. There's a prophetic word. I'll bring distress on mankind. Praise the Lord. Well, let's finish there. And with that, God bless you. Go home and meditate on that. That's your scripture memory for the... We want Zephaniah 3, 17. And I'll take the rap and say that that was my mistake in giving the wrong reference. But if... So I'll just read it out to you then. I will no longer bring distress on mankind, it says... Indirectly, because you know the prophetic books in the Old Testament are often like this: there's a, there's a strong rebuke to the sins of Israel, and there's a promise if they repent and get right with God. And in three seventeen, it says, "The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing." That's feel better. Yeah. All right. And one more nice one. Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And as I said, many more verses that talk about God's love, that he is love, that nothing can separate us from his love, that in the New Testament it says you can call him Abba, Father. It's not a Swedish pop group. That's a word that meant dad, a close, intimate relationship in our loving father's arms and hands. And the fact is they're not just words, but they're promises that we can walk into and experience. And if you follow the Lord for any length of time or any short length of time even, you'll start having experiences and stories and testimonies of how, yes, I know, I know how God has loved me. I know how he's brought me through. And we've sung about that this morning, about his goodness and how he's walked through stuff with us and he carries us. And, uh, and so, you know, on Father's Day, we, we honour our fathers, our natural born fathers, but 
obviously we want to appreciate and honour our perfect ultimate Father in heaven. Uh, because with our natural dads, we probably also, as part of that honour, need to bring some forgiveness along with us to, to cope with our father's humanity. And, uh, and for some, that's a lot harder than others because maybe their fathers really weren't there and really didn't step up to the plate and, uh, and fulfil perhaps all that they were called to do. Um, but we can still honour them. Uh, but of course, with our father in heaven, he's perfect. And, and he's always perfectly caring, loving, leading, guiding, blessing uh, each one of us. And, uh, you know, on Friday, Michael, um, Michael's dad, uh, I went down to the memorial service for his dad, passed away recently, and it was obviously sad in some ways, but beautiful as well, because he died in the Lord followed the Lord. They were members of this church for, I think, 20 years down in Sydney and many, many people there and just uh, a great honour for this man of God who loved, you know, the Lord and his wife and children and other people and uh, it was very moving and part of the, the, the service that was very moving were the selected hymns that they had uh, with some really beautiful lyrics and one of them pointed to God's perfect father-like love for us, written way back in the 1800s. And I'll just read one of the verses uh, that said about the Lord, Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Praise him, praise him, hallelujah, hallelujah, widely as his mercy flows. You know, the Lord is, is just awesome. And I loved what Byron preached last week. He's talking about the, the parable of the lost son. You know, this is the story Jesus told when the son asks for his inheritance early while his dad's still alive, takes it, takes off to another country, spends all the money, and then is so lost and destitute he comes back home cringing and wondering what sort of reception he's going to get. And the father just loves him, welcomes him home. And as Byron preached so well, he didn't get what he deserved. We don't get what we deserve when we turn to God, this perfect father. And notice when the father loves the son that comes home, he doesn't just say it, he shows it. He shows it with his actions. He doesn't say, yeah, I love you. Through gritted teeth. All right. No, he says, come on, let's have a party and put a ring on his finger and get a rope. He gives him and gives to him and blesses him. And, and it's the same. Um, it's the same for us as fathers. You know, we, we need to know, we need to do more than just know that we love our kids. We feel that we love our kids, but the kids need to know that. The kids need to feel that. We need to make sure that the kids are actually receiving and appreciating and experiencing that love. So, so we, want to, uh, we want to do that. We want to emulate what God's doing for us and love not just being a concept, not just, yeah, yeah, I love my kids. You know, but what does it look like? Well, of course, we need to forgive our kids just as God forgives us. And um, that's not to say we don't notice it, we don't ignore when they, uh, when they do something wrong. Uh, we can get onto that in a second, but, um, but when kids are sorry, we really need to allow that 
relationship to be restored and strong and forgive them just as, as God does to us. Of course, it means that when we love our kids, we're going to provide for them and uh, we're going to make sure all their needs are met. But more than that, we're going we're gonna to bless them. We're going to want good things for them. We don't just meet their bare needs. Imagine, you know, for your kid's birthday, unwrapping his gift and finding he's got a can of beans. Yay, you know, it's food. There you go, son. <laughs> be be blessed. Here, yeah, Christmas time. Here, school shoes and polish. <laughs> there you go. Yay, thanks, Dad. Yeah. You know, uh, oh, and wait, Mum's got some bed sheets for you. You need some new sheets. <laughs> hey, what do you get for Christmas? I got a bike. Yeah, I got sheets for my bed. You know, um, no, you don't do that, do you? You bless them. You want to abundantly bless them. You give them more than just what they barely need. You want to enrich their lives. And even though they could survive without the gifts you bring them, you know it's good for them when you give good gifts. And so make sure that where does that attitude come from? Where's that heart, that thought come from? We're made in the image of God. That's from the Lord. And yet some people, when they approach God, think, oh, no, God's angry. God doesn't like me. God doesn't want me to have. God will meet your needs, but not your greeds. Have you heard that? That's not in the Bible. God wants to bless us. In fact, Jesus said, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, that famous passage you read in Matthew's, Matthew chapter 6 and 7, uh, Jesus said, if you, though being evil, love that, look up the Greek word, means nothing but evil, right? So we, <laughs> he's telling us the way it is. So if you're, though, he said, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So that's the attitude we've got to have and appreciate where God's coming from. God is, is willing and able to bless us with, with good things. The Bible says that he um, richly gives us all things for our enjoyment. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Um, Bible tells us that uh, in the Psalms that he delights in the prosperity of his servants. And so we're going to, I think, catch a hold of that and appreciate God's love for us, know that he's willing to bless us. And of course, we carry that into our parenting role um, as, as fathers and and mothers too. The second big quality that, of course, fathers have got to bring to the table if they're going to raise their kids well and God brings to our lives is, of course, discipline. And look at uh, what the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews about that. This is in Hebrews chapter 12, and we read from about verse 5. Um, let's see, we got that up there. It says uh, in verse 5, this is the New Living Translation. It says, have you... Have you forgotten the word of encouragement? I'm just checking. I've got a different, it's the New Living Translation, but we've obviously got slightly different versions. So I'll read from up here. Then. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, and it means, this is a quote from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. 
how much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and lived? They, verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That makes discipline sound pretty good, don't you think? Because discipline gets a pretty bad rap these days. In our society, you hear the word discipline, and you think, ha oh, ha, old school, angry, abusive perhaps, kind of smacking parenting. It doesn't have to be like that at all. Discipline can and should be a really good thing, hand in hand, part of loving our children. And as it says there, God does the same for us. It says, who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? Well, these days, yeah, I've heard of plenty. In fact, I've seen them. I've taught them in school. And it's tough going because those kids are worse off for a lack of discipline. And teachers here, you'll know exactly what I mean. You think, wow, you can pick it. You can go into a classroom and within half an hour, you can, you can pretty well point out the kids who've got no discipline at home. And it makes hard going for them, not just for you as a teacher, but for other people around them and for them. Because discipline, it, as I said, it's not abusive. It's not crushing a child's spirit. It's training them. It's teaching them how to live life well. Discipline shows us what's right and wrong, how to live well, what to aim for, teaches us self-discipline. Starts out externally imposed, but it teaches you habits to realize this is how I should live. This is a good practice. This is a habit of discipline that I'm going to exercise. And then I can withstand some pressures that come later on that otherwise might crush me. For example, uh, you know, when Hudson, our eldest, uh, left home to join the army, he was only 17 and they ship him off down to Wagga to Kapuka, and you don't hear from them for weeks. And you're warned about this. You, you, you're told you, your child will make a phone call sometime after the second or the third week. It will be a short phone call. And they literally have to stand to attention to make the phone call. If they shift out of attention, their phones are taken from them. And, you know, it's, it's all discipline. And it's all about, you know, breaking them down, make, building them up and all that. And so we get this phone call after some weeks. Hi, Mum, hi, Dad. Hudson, how are you going? Oh, it's pretty full on. It's pretty full on down here. Uh, why? What do you mean? Oh, they yell at you. They're not allowed to touch you, but they'll do everything short of it. You know, he said, I was on parade. A spider crawled on my face and a corporal saw it, ran over and said, don't you move a muscle. And I had to let this spider crawl right over my face. Oh, I was freaking out, but I couldn't move. And he, and he said, there's some guys that have already packed it in. In the first eight weeks, you're allowed to leave. And... um he said there are guys in hospital with stress. There's blokes that are broken down in tears. They make us, if one guy in the section of whatever, 20 guys or whatever, one of them gets one little crease wrong on the shirt, you know, we've all got to do it again in the middle of the night. Get out of bed, do this, stand to attention. Oh, you know, it's all. And I said, well, how are you going? And he said, well, I'm doing all right. And uh, he said, they're, you know, having a go at me, but I think you've trained me really well. And uh, I'm, I'm quite prepared for it. And at that moment, I, I wasn't sure if that was a compliment or just a, a, a reflection on really bad parenting or just psycho parenting. I just thought, 
Okay, um, I think that's a good thing. But then again, I wonder, you know, these corporals yelling at him and Hudson's just thinking, you got nothing. <laughs> My dad's a real mongrel, you know. <laughs> you got no idea. I'm thinking, oh, okay, is that good, you know? And uh, I think it was generally good. And maybe, uh, come on, dads, you're usually a bit stricter on your first child, aren't you? And then, you know, by the time you get your fourth, you're just, what is discipline, Bethany? No idea. Just... <laughs> But uh, my father was in the military and I, I missed out, um, but I certainly brought my parenting to the... <laughs> you learn from what you experience, so um, yeah, um, anyway, so, but he, he, he's all right, he survived my parenting and the army, and uh, sorry, I just lost uh, a place here. So yeah, I was talking about, um, yeah, discipline can... can train us uh, and and teach us to be strong and resilient. I love what Glenn Garion said a couple of weeks ago for his little kids on the fridge they've got a note that says we do hard things. I thought that's an unusual kind of statement for little kids to put on the fridge. You know, Normally it's like, you're a champion. I love you. Go for it, kids. Woo, have a great day at school. Smiley face. We do hard things. You know, <laughs> and he said he wouldn't let his kids come home and talk about bullying. I love that. I love that because this culture, you look sideways at a kid wrong way. I've been bullied. It's like, no, no, you just had an altercation with someone at school. Deal with it. It's okay. You don't have to be, call it bullying. It's just the drop of a hat. And, uh, and we did the same with our kids. And again, with the, the little boys we've got uh, that we're raising as, as foster parents, you know, Leroy, um, he's very good at sport. And, uh, and I think that's a great... Um, uh, platform to build discipline. If you're going to go for it, you want to do your best in sport, then you're going to need some discipline and you've got to put up with some some hardship to get the best out of the God-given ability you've got in your body. And so I've trained him because he's won the school cross-country every year. And one year he was away, he missed it, but they sent him to the zone anyway because they knew he would have won. And, uh, and, and now, you know, I couldn't, I don't think I could beat him over two or three kilometres, but I've just this last year, just haven't run with him, you know. The, but up until then, I'd push it, and he's starting to push me over. The, and the last couple of years, he's, he was like eight or nine, and I'm doing two kilometres saying, come on, come on, a bit faster. And I'm nearly dying to get the, you know, under nine minutes or whatever we were aiming for, for two kilometres. And and, uh, and so I'd always say to him and Keelan as well, come on, no pain, no gain, um, you know, and all these little statements. And then a little while ago, I came home, I went for a run myself and I was running up the street and the boys were playing after school and our street's got a little bit of an incline, not massive, non-existent if you're Kale, who I ran with years ago and just glided up and passed. And, but, you know, for me, I'm struggling up there and Keelan sees me coming and sure enough, he can't help himself. Come on, Dad, no pain, no gain. Pain is weakness, living your body. Yeah, come on. If you're not feeling pain, you're not going fast enough. Come on. You know, and he's going, all right, shut up. I mean, yes, all right, Keelan, thank you, you know. And, uh, and um, you know, but, but last, last week, so Leroy um, won the school 800 metres, so he goes to the zone carnival. And I saw the results of two parenting styles in one race. So what's this um, little girl's, and Leroy did his best, and he didn't make it to the next level, and so he won't get dessert for a month. But, um, oh, sorry, he was commended on his efforts. Uh, but, um, no, no, he, he did his best, but he got flogged uh, at, that, at that level. You know, he wins at school and didn't win the next level. But he, he really does try his hardest, and I commend him for it. And, uh, and he knows 
yeah, you've got to put it in. And you, 800 metres, if you ever did athletics, you'll know is a really tough event. You can't win the 800 metres without feeling some really tough pain. Your body's starting to freak out. And I saw a girls, uh, they were about under 10s or 11s, girls 800 metre race. And I was at the top of the, the, the straight. So they, they run about 300 metres and then they go past the top and they start. The first lap, uh, a girl coming in about fifth tripped against another girl and fell over, just sprawled on the ground and the race kept going. Um, and she got up in probably 10th, 12th place and had to try and catch up. So then they go around and I'll get back to her in a second. But then as they came around to the top straight, at um, you know, the final, I've done 700 metres now, a little girl came around the corner screaming and crying for her mother. Mommy! Mommy! And she's crying. And her friend from school, the other representative from the school, is encouraging her and running along with her. Mommy! And I think, okay, she's feeling pain. Mummy, hopefully we'll just meet her on the finish line. But oh no, mummy comes running over and starts screaming out at the child and the child's coming into the straight and the mum's calling out, I'm Tara, 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 here I am. And the mother's screaming and they're both screaming and they can't hear each other because they're both screaming. Finally, the little girl hears the mum, turns around and the mum's at the top of the straight. The girl's now got like 80 metres to run and ironically runs to her mother because she's in such pain she can't run but runs to mum. But And the mum just... Just hugs her and holds her and... Okay, now there may be more in the backstory. okay? I'm not just... Uh, there's more than I know. But it is the zone, which means this girl has already won at school or come second or third, so she can run 100 meters, 800 metres. So she's done it before, but for some reason now, she's finding it painful. Maybe she's not used to not winning. I don't know. But for anyway, and I just thought, oh, surely not, surely not. But sure enough, the mother... The, even the officials came and said, you can finish the race with her if you like. You want to just walk down the side? I thought, yes, if you've started something, finish it. If you feel a bit of pain, get through it. Come on, Teach the kids some tenacity in India. Oh, no. So off the mother went, ah, it's all right, it's all right. Like I said, maybe there's more to the story, but I just thought that's pretty insipid. Anyway, I just figure, come on, you know, you've got to teach your kids to put it in a bit. Meanwhile, back to girl number one who had been flattened. She's got up, caught the girls in front of her and comes into the top of the straight and I didn't know her name but I wanted to yell out and I just went, go for it. But they all probably think, great, who are you? And we're all going for it anyway. But I meant her, but I didn't know, you know, you, because... And she came third. And so she put it in and I thought, I reckon her parents know something about discipline have probably told her, if you fall down, get up again. Have a go. Keep going. Bit of tenacity. And so uh, your parent, your kids don't have to be athletic stars but I think there's something in there about the parenting and the discipline and the ability to put up with something a bit tough and to train our kids, you know, to be strong, to endure what the world throws at them, whether it's getting tripped over or feeling just the pain of running a race uh, and many other things that are going to come their way. Amen? And so, uh, so you know, God's good to us and that, in- that includes discipline. We've got to be willing to dish it out, but we've got to be also willing to, to take it on board because... It's building our character. That last passage, that last verse in that passage said, there'll be the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. We become more holy, more like him. And so when things don't go your way in life, it may very well be God's hand of discipline. Just allowing you 
to be trained in righteousness, just allowing your character to be strengthened. So don't run from it. Don't freak out and, you know, buck and be a rebellious little kid. Listen and learn, yeah? And finally, the, you know, love, discipline. But the other thing I wanted to say about a good father that we need to be and who God is, is that a good father is there. A good father is connected, available, not distracted. You know, when we come home, we've been working. Hopefully we do work hard, but not so hard that we're not connected with our kids in our family and that we, we spend time with them and we fix their flat tyre or their push bike and we kick the ball with them at the park and listen to their boring, I mean, their stories, you know, and we help them with their project and, you know, you just want to make sure you put it in in the home front. And, you know, that's exactly, again, who our Father in heaven is. He is always there. He is Jehovah Raha, the Lord, our shepherd, who cares for us, who is constantly walking with us through life. And, again, you know, your natural father, he might not have been there for you. He may have gone home to heaven. Uh, but the Bible says that the Lord is a father to the fatherless and he is a perfect father for each one of us. And again, I want us to just appreciate him today and, 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 and that includes, you know, his, his discipline as well as his guidance and his love for all of us. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.